It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Use code DNVR to sign up for a new account to get amazing odds boosts every single day. Rudo, Megan, and AJ back on the show. Finally back around. Not even, I mean, I guess you technically are still remote, but it's a significantly closer remote now. So there's that going for us at the very least. True. Uh, lots of uh, lots of different stuff coming out of the news today. Megan was just at Avalanche practice, so Megan, whatever you think is noteworthy from practice, hit us with it. The biggest one being Nathan McKinnon working with skills coach Sean Laird. It's great to see him back, and Bednar said that he's still on the same timeline as before, but that is about one to two weeks out from now. So that's optimistic. There hasn't been any sort of setback. It's great to see him doing that work. Uh, Darren Helm's still in a no-contact jersey, and there are no updates. It is sort of back in the place of concern where he just he's in this yellow light area where he, it's not really green means go, it's not red means stop. He just hasn't made a, another step forward to have any sort of prediction on when we'll see him back in an NHL game. So it's not like things have gotten bad. He's still taking full practice just in a no-contact jersey still has to be frustrating for him i'm sure other piece of information uh, is andrew caliano is going to take the next two games leading up to the holiday break off and be reevaluated further paid or less serious than we anticipated just that it requires further evaluation so he's going to miss these next two games and we should know more after that break uh, but it sounds like they are optimistic that it isn't the most serious of conclusions then I think the last part is the newest player, Dennis Malgan. I was pulling up my um, audio to get exactly what he said about the work visa issues because that is still being sorted out. And so the thing I'm trying to see is if he had any estimate on when that would be because it it didn't sound like he was even sure. Let me just pull it up here. He's probably not going to play this week just based on how how this works yeah. yeah how the how the work visas for european players that were on canadian teams that then get traded to american teams they have they've had a couple of these guys over the last i don't know like decade or so and they all take roughly a week and mm-hmm. with with christmas being involved in it it adds you know, some, another pause in the whole it, it could it could yeah. it could add a couple of days to it so i would say if he's here for Friday's game it's a victory for the abs but not to not to expect him to make his avalanche debut until next week realistically 
Fair enough. I, we kind of stepped ourselves into this room. AJ, I know you've been uh, digging through Dennis Mulligan footage, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the on the trade for Dryden Hunt in general and I, what you expect out of him. I honestly have to say, man, that I I love this habit that the Avs have developed of trading for guys that I'm already familiar with because <laughs> it, it makes my job so much easier because, like, I remember on trade deadline day a few years ago when the Avs claimed Mark Alt on waivers from the Flyers, and I was like, who? What is a Mark Alt? <laughs> like, <clears throat> claiming Dryden Hunt, I know that guy. Trading for Dennis Morgan, I know him too. Like, <laughs> I do appreciate them trying to make it a little easier, but Morgan is, uh, he's not big. Uh, the uh, the the crowd that is always hankering for more size is not going to be a big fan. Um, five foot nine, like one hundred and seventy pounds, but he plays with a lot of heart. He's got some skill to him, as you would expect a smaller guy hanging around the fringes of the NHL. Uh, he's got some skill, but he's a guy that you, you know, guys his size, it's always. It, it, it's always, it, can this guy play in the middle of the ice? Can he go to the dirty areas? Can he take the punishment of somebody that needs to be within five feet of the crease and is bite size? And Morgan is a guy that he's got the heart. He's got the will. He'll play that way. He goes to that part of the ice. And it's really just like a finishing problem. He's not, he's not so skilled that it's like going to overwhelm you. But the difference between him and Dryden Hunt will be pretty big in terms of Dryden Hunt seemed like he was refusing to try and make any level of a creative play. Yeah. He was not interested unless in, in unless it was a clear shooting lane. He wasn't interested in trying to get the puck in the center of the ice at all. He just wanted to cycle a puck and go stand in front of the goalie and wait, or then go hit somebody. Morgan, Morgan will actually try and make a few things happen. He'll shoot the puck. Uh, he he averages about a shot and a half per game. Uh, and that may not sound like a lot when you're talking about a guy that's probably going to play 10 minutes a night. It's not so bad. Uh, defensively, he's as you would expect. It's not, it's not great shakes. It's not a disaster, though. Um. Like you look at the difference, like he's going to be, he's going to be better in his own zone than a guy like Charles Houdon has been in Houdon's career, Um, which is one reason why I think Houdon's kind of stuck where he is, is that like a quad A player, great AHL player who has a trouble, you know, has trouble sticking in the, in the NHL. So um, I, in chat, somebody says a a Sven Androgetto clone. I don't think that's too far (laughs) off. I don't think he's as skilled as Sven, yeah, but yeah. he's got a little more grit to his game than that. But I won't be surprised if if they if he does ultimately remind people of of Andrew Ghetto a bit. Uh, so I'm curious about his actual usage ultimately when he gets here. I understand that's going to at least at some level depend on depend on quality of play, but we saw Dryden Hunt fall into this role, especially at the end of. under six minutes on some nights we've talked about this Jacob McDonald oddity for a while now of the ridiculously low amounts of ice time he's getting is Mulligan someone that you expect to come in and play a little bit more someone that Bednar can run out there or is he going to be fairly limited 
I think he'll be limited to start, and some of that will depend on uh, Cogliano as well. Sure. Um, but I I do think that it, this team's like lack of interest in putting Jacob McDonald or Curtis McDermott on waivers to try and actually get a guy that Bedner will play yeah. feels like the strangest disconnect between front office and coaching staff. Because three shifts for yeah, Jacob I, McDonald feels unacceptable to me. You're literally just playing a guy down at that point. Like, like why not keep Jean-Luc Foudy or Charles Houdon to do exactly the same thing, but you add six shifts to it? Yep. You I know, mean, and... I'm sorry, go ahead. I asked Jared Bednar about Jacob McDonald's usage today, and he... Perf. He, while he answered the question in very coach speak, he sort of intentionally misinterpreted it to be like, well, Jacob McDonald's a forward, so, or sorry, a defenseman, so playing him at forward, like our team isn't fully healthy, um, and we're just trying to spot check. And so he, first of all, to Bednar's credit, I think Bednar respects me. I don't think he is assuming that I don't know that. I think he knows that I know that. And he is just being a little evasive in how he answers that question, because Jacob McDonald took two shifts. He played under two minutes. At that point, you know, is that really helping a team that is down a forward if you only play a guy under two minutes? At that point, why even play him? It, it, it's almost a little insulting to put a player into a lineup and play him 136. I can see if it was a brand new guy, a waiver guy that they've just, like Dryden Hunt's first game. He showed up and like, didn't have to, he'd never practiced with the team. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know where he was going. Jacob McDonald's been in this organization for like four years now. He's played forward for the Avalanche with multiple times. And honestly, in the past, it has gone a lot better. I think this year has been really tough for Jacob McDonald all around. Yeah. But they know that he can play forward. Like, even last year before he was injured up with the Avs, I thought he was playing fine. And it's just weird. They, that's not the answer to the question, really. It's definitely this is. It's. It would be very fair to say that this is the worst showing that Jacob McDonald has had. Definitely true. With the abs, this is this is definitely the only time where it's like, holy crap, man, this guy does not belong here. You've had guys who have been fine. Well, Charles Udon right. and John Luke Foodie and Martin Cout have all been. Varying so, levels of acceptable for you. What is the point of this? The problem I struggle with is the the entire Jacob McDonald experience on the Avs has been sold to us as, well, he can play D and he can play forward. He tried playing D. He was awful at it this year. And the Avs won't actually play him at forward. So what's he the, accomplishing on your roster? The difference between Jacob McDonald and Brad Hunt has been legitimately shocking to yeah. me. That that and, and like that Brad Hunt is the one perfectly serviceable at his own end, which, for the record, is not a thing that has happened much in Brad Hunt's career. Yeah, that's not who Brad Hunt has ever been. <laughs> He's always been a guy that can get involved in the offense, can score some goals, can drive some play, but in his own end, you're like oh, that's a little shaky. Brad Hunt has been totally fine. I don't yeah. want to make this a Greg Cronin podcast, but Brad Hunt, when I asked him about playing under Cronin, said that he has learned 
so much from Crow. And Crow did in a separate interview without knowing that Brad Hunt has said this, brought up how Brad Hunt came to him and said that despite being a veteran player with all these years of pro experience, he's learned more a couple weeks here in the organization than he has looking back at his entire career. And I just wonder if they've really gone to task on working on some of these defensive details with it, because I'm not going to lie to you, my familiarity with Brad Hunt going into this season also would not have pegged him to be reliable in a call-up. I was genuinely nervous when he was recalled and he has played beyond my expectation. And I feel bad that I doubted him. I, it, you said you don't want to turn this into a Greg Cronin Pride podcast, but what you don't know is that <laughs> it's already like, been one. <laughs> well, like three days ago, I was talking to Evan, just just chatting, and I said that Greg Cronin is the av secret weapon in the organization because his work, his work, it has been very impressive over the last couple of years, because you're talking, and it's not just been with the development of young guys. We will see on that front. Almost none of those guys who have been in the system for multiple years with Crow have come up and been impact guys and stayed and, and done it. It hasn't had quite happened yet, but the the I think it is a direct testament to the work that Greg Cronin has done that the abs have been able to stay afloat with the level of injuries that they've had because Cronin has helped even veteran guys find areas of their game that they can work on. Instead of just saying you're 28 years old, you are who you are. You're cashing big time AHL checks. Just come do that for us. And that's fine. He's helping a guy like a, a Jason Magna, Charles Houdon, a, a Brad Hunt, who's in his thirties. Like, Brad Hunt wakes up and his back hurts every day because that's what happens when you turn 30. And he's helping Brad Hunt kind of discover a fountain of youth. And then these guys get to Colorado. Uh, they get to Denver and they're serviceable role players. Andreas England is a wonderful example of this as well. A guy that he's got obvious limitations here, but he, again, serviceable for the avalanche. For weeks, Andreas England has been fine and it's a direct it's a, it is a direct testament to the quality of work that greg cronin has done that these guys have been prepared to play avalanche hockey when yeah. they get called up and all the credit in the world for cronin and not just having those guys evolve their games at any age but getting in what is a very loose system wise ahl <laughs> being able to apply the avalanche systems down there in an effective enough way that when they jump up, it's not an entirely different world than the NHL as far as systems are concerned. And also a little bit of credit to the guys behind Cronin up in the, the front office, whether it be abs or Eagles Absolutely. guys of going out and targeting avalanche players, <laughs> guys that the avalanche are certain things that they look for, John Luke Foodie, who can skate like an absolute maniac. Guys like Logan O'Connor, who have a motor. It was a pretty clear cut. You kind of know what's going to work in the ab system these days. Well, and and you you do because then you you also look at Andreas England as a cast off from Ottawa and like bad Ottawa, not like Ottawa when they were in the Eastern Conference Finals and like put like 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 bad Ottawa was like we're good, we're moving on from this guy, right and. He's been he's been in the organization now for a couple of years, and 
you're you're talking about like a, you know the front office obviously does we 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 talk about it a lot like this is an Avs guy, Foodie is an Avs guy, the draft guys gave them an Avs guy, Martin Kaut less so of an obvious fit as an as like a vintage like Avs guy, Brad Hunt he got signed we talked about it when he signed this guy makes all all kinds of sense for for the Avalanche and the Eagles. You know, it's it's a it's it's really like the or this is an area where the organization has taken big steps forward because we used to see call ups like and, and I like don't want him to think I would be throwing him under the bus, but guys like David Vandergolik would come up and just like get sort of lost in the NHL. And those weren't even good avalanche teams. Born but there was there was a disconnect between the AHL and the NHL teams in terms of how they played, in their preparation, in their coaching, in their messaging. And now you see that is a lot more in sync than it ever has been in the Avs organization. And a, a clear-cut benefit to that you could draw a straight line correlation causation here between the work that they have done, developing that kind of culture, that kind of consistency, and the Avalanche's ability to stay afloat when they suffer borderline catastrophic injuries. I've asked players that have been called up about the similarities between the systems, and not only, like Charles Sudan said, it's 90, 80% similar. In what they're doing in Loveland and what they're doing in Colorado. And that's how he was able to, without so much as a practice, drop into road games on that abs road trip and have some level of success in that Philadelphia game. And Charles Sudan, you mentioned Cronin working with older players too, is another one that Cronin has talked about working with on details of the game that it is a teaching league from top to bottom down to the surgical details. And it doesn't matter if that's a young prospect or a veteran player, like the way that and even with Martin Kaut getting reassigned, Bednar and Cronin have a conversation at length about this decision too. And the conversation, the communication between both of these organizations or I guess clubs um, is so tight knit that it, it has helped. I think all of the clubs, they've each reiterated this. Cal Burke said the same thing about the systems. Brad Hunt said the same thing about the systems. They're so similar and the execution makes it easy for them to get called up and drop into games. I, I would say to build off of that point, because you're 100% correct here, Megan, is that when guys come from outside the organization, it's a great point. You see, it takes a couple of weeks because yeah. it's not that the Avs play this like mind bending, like nobody in the league can play like this. Like, it's not like that. It's well, just, it's it, very it, specific in, in we, we play a certain way. And we only play this kind of game if we can. We want to be this kind of team at all times. Now, if we get involved in a game like last night, you get involved in kind of a more muck it up, a, a slower paced, like whatever. You saw they found ways to be successful. They created 26 high danger chances in 65 minutes last night. That's an outrageously high number. I, I agree with the first half of what you said. It's definitely not some mind-bending 800 IQ hockey, but I don't think there are many teams that can do it at the pace that the Avalanche do. Right, and this is what I'm saying. Like, they're very – what separates the Avs, it's not so much the system that they play. It's the way they play the system. Yeah. 
it's it's the aggression, the attack mentality, the speed. You said pace, correct. It's the pace. It's never ending. When when Lightning players all caught their breath from the ass whooping they took in that cup final and talked about it over the summer, all of them had a consistent theme. They just outworked us. It just never stopped. I think Leon Dreisaitl also did an interview where he was like, all four lines are just on top of us. For a week, those guys just smothered us. You know, like they are like chloroform in in, 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 in like hockey form here. They just smother teams and put them to sleep like that. And it's just, it's, it's when you get guys that come from the outside, it takes a while for them to, to really tighten the screws and lock in to the kind of style and the kind of effort and the kind of pace that the apps play with. And it's, it's one reason why I think calling a guy up is better than necessarily claiming a guy because they're already comfortable. They're already, they already know the expectations. They already have an idea about the culture, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And getting a guy from the outside is going to take them a while. I can tell you the Evs actual secret weapon. It's athletic greens every morning. One scoop in your cup of water gets you up and going, gets you a motor like a Colorado avalanche player. You can jump on it today. Go over to athleticgreens.com slash avalanche. Let them know we sent you over there. It's got 75 different vitamins, minerals, a bunch of probiotics and adaptogens in it, all sorts of amazing stuff, especially during flu season. It can really help you out and get your immune system boosted to make sure you are uh, you're out there doing the good stuff and not being sick. Like It went through a lot of the abs beat. Blaze had it. Evan had it. AJ had it a while ago back in Winnipeg. So, I see, dude, we're still struggling. I've got I'm <laughs> popping cough drops just to get through this. There you go. So avoid that. Use your athletic greens, unlike our beat where Megan and Jesse steal it all. So, <laughs> but you know who hasn't been sick? It's true. Math adds up. Can't argue with the facts. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash avalanche. Take control of your health today. And when you order, you get a year's supply of vitamin D included for free. We're also brought to you by the amazing people over at Illegal Pete's. You can go on down there and get a beautiful burrito any day of the week. But also be sure to check them out during their happy hour from 3 to 6 p.m. for great deals on margaritas uh, and many other amazing drinks. Uh, they have 12 different locations in Colorado and Arizona. With it being the holiday season, you also buy a $100 gift card. You get an extra $25 free. So it's a great little stocking stuffer or something to put under the tree for a friend if that's what you're into. Their queso, ridiculously amazing. Highly recommend. You go check out Illegal Pete's. Get yourself a delicious burrito. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I know the show is, is titled What the Avs Have Done Well Without Nathan McKinnon, but I did want to circle around to one conversation that we've kind of hinted at before. We kind of started talking about on last post-game show. At what point are the Avs overworking Kale McCarr? Because it feels like the answer to that question to me is now. It's already happening. 
It does feel like we're in this room, but it felt like we were inching towards that room with Nathan McKinnon healthy and in the lineup. So True. I I don't know. It's the kind of question that's answered only when Kel McCarp or Devon Taves breaks, and I, I don't think it should get to that point. So to, for what it's worth, in call-up experiences in the past, I feel like Andreas Englund and Hunt together have been utilized more than other defensive call-ups in the past that I do think he has been worked harder than this before, but it's af- it's coming on the heels of having already been worked hard so much in terms of usage with Kel McCarr and Devontae. So I actually think Hunt and England here in the meantime has alleviated some of it. I think it's distributed a little more evenly than it has been, but even still, these 27, 28 minute nights are a bit hard on the body. And I just, I think the timeline for Josh Manson was a month from the date of his injury. So I don't remember the exact timing of his injury, um, but hopefully, and we have no reason to believe that that isn't still the target for him. There are some reinforcements in the decor on the way because we are definitely in the room of overworking Devontae's and Kel McCarr. Okay. AJ with a sly smile on his face. <laughs> um, I have no issues. I think it's fine. Calgary okay. machine never breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a lot. It's a tough job. Um, but I think Kel McCarr, more often than not, is playing outrageously well. Um, I think the big difference here is that we're looking particularly at his offense and his production and maybe even specifically his goal scoring and saying like, what's going wrong, right? Like, why is this happening? Like, what's, why isn't Kale scoring and producing quite at the same level or whatever? But um, for me, I think he's playing better than he ever has in the NHL. Um, he's just having to learn to pick his spots a little more carefully. And so that conservative, like a touch more conservative approach from Kale is, is reducing some of that production. I think some of it is percentage driven because one of the big things that Makar was so good at in generating offense last year is that uh, he is really good at getting wrist shots through traffic that are tippable. He's not trying to pick a corner. It's not really low on the ice. It's that midsection where a tip any direction up or down has a dramatic effect. And I think that, um, I think that just missing a guy like Landis Cog, who's so good in front of the net, is probably hurting his production more than him playing 30 minutes a night. Uh, I think he's, I genuinely, I think that he is playing the best hockey of his life right now. There are some mistakes, but when he spends literally half the game on the ice with the goddamn puck, those mistakes feel like they're happening a lot. But exceptional things are also taking place. He is, I think he's playing wonderfully. And I guess I just don't really have a problem with the usage. Those mistakes feel magnified because you're getting nothing out of the other pairings. Sam Gerrard offensively is struggling so badly. Eric Johnson doesn't look like he knows how to beat a goaltender in the NHL anymore. 
Um, and I say doesn't like know how, but I just don't know that he's capable, capable. of it yeah. anymore. Uh, and then Andreas England and Brad Hunt are not going to do much of that for you. Andreas England, I don't, I, I, I refer to Andreas England as like, oh, some Ryan Graves vibes. It's really like Jack Johnson vibes. He's, he's surviving defensively, but he gives you absolutely nothing on offense. There's no skill. There's, there's no like puck skill. There's no, uh, there's no creativity. There's no reading the ice. That was the thing that Ryan Graves did really well. But when it comes to McCarr, when it comes to Taves, because it's really like a hand-in-hand conversation for both these guys, it's easy to look at the extra two minutes a night and say, without this, they might be producing a little bit more because they can attack a little more freely. They can get up the ice knowing that they won't be, you know, they, they can change and they won't be out there again 30 seconds later. But uh I just I just don't think that I think that this is what they need to do in order to survive because as much as we're like England and Brad Hunter like yeah they're serviceable and they're getting by and all this but it's like if you if you give those extra 2 minutes you take those 2 minutes away from Makar and Taves and you give them to Hunt in England You're that might be the difference but the whole time yeah that might be the difference in that might be the difference in you you winning and losing a one nothing hockey game like last night because their margin for error is that thin right now. Yep. And so I just think that this is how they have to be. When Byram gets healthy, when Manson gets healthy, I would be shocked if we continued to see them break 26 minutes a night regularly. I mean, it'll still happen. Of course. But regularly, I would be shocked if that continued. This is for me pure survival and it's working and it's going to continue. And I think it should. I have three topics I did want to touch on. I'll let you two choose which one you want to cover first possession, five on five overtime or the penalty kill. Um, I mean, Megan keeps talking about the penalty kill. I can give that one to her. (laughs) It's, one of the like right now with special teams it's the absence better. of McKinnon the power play. Whoa, the, the sorry the camera froze. Um. So, anyways, the absence of Nathan McKinnon has been extremely felt on the power play. But one element of special teams that has been good is the penalty kill, and it it's interesting. Like, there's a lot of the same personnel that are still avail- there available to help on the kill. Um, and it just seems like the execution of the kill that we saw in the playoffs is sort of what they are looking to emulate, I feel, right now in the regular season. And it's an aggressive penalty kill that at the beginning of the season, we saw how this didn't work to their advantage. They were over aggressive. They were over engaged. They were leaving positions uh, to tend to skaters. And as a result, we saw a lot of mistakes get made. But I think they've really started to figure out what level of aggression is right for them. And that's why we've seen it steadily improve, especially in the month of November. I know that was in the piece, but it has also been a welcome addition then because it's just one area where the Avs can defend themselves better, right? You'd like to see some of these other areas, especially in the absence of McKinnon step up, but it's an important part of the team to be playing well right now, just with as many injuries as they have. And honestly too, 
I think the discipline hasn't been terrible over these last few games too, that it hasn't been heavily tested and that's important as well. Yep. It, in the absence of McKinnon in these seven games, it's been the Avs have given up two goals on their penalty kill and they've scored one. So they're a net negative one across seven games of penalty killing. That's pretty damn good from your penalty kill. And, uh, I, we do have to touch on it because the other night AJ was about to teleport across the country to smack me when we were talking about the penalty kill. The biggest difference might be the goaltending. Yep. <laughs> right when it started to get good, I asked Logan O'Connor about goaltending and how it relates to the penalty kill. And I basically fed him the hockey cliche of your best penalty killer is your goaltender. But Logan O'Connor very enthusiastically corroborated this. Like, yes, Georgiev's been excellent. I would say he's the best penalty killer. I might be adding a lot more passion to that. But the penalty killers have said the best penalty killer is the goalie. So You know why? Because he stops the puck? Because it does not matter if that guy lets in a floater from the point. Look at, like, the... I, I use this goal because it really stood out to me as like a killer one. The the Anthony D'Angelo goal sure. in Philadelphia. Yeah. That third one that just crushed yep. him. Yeah. A third one that has absolutely no reason to beat Georgiev. Like that's a that's a power play goal. And the PK does nothing wrong there. The PK is designed to give that shot up because goalies can handle it with ease in the NHL today. You know, it's not nineteen eighty five anymore. That's a that's not a dangerous scoring chance. You will give that up for two full minutes. You'll let Tony D'Angelo make that shot. And he doesn't make that save. None of the rest of it matters. So it it you have to be a certain you know, you have to you have to be able to do a certain job, but as much as it's like the goalie, you do look at some of the numbers. Uh, on a rate basis, the Avs are fifth best in the NHL at allowing scoring chances. And that that tells you that, yeah, Georgiev has to be good. But the PK is doing a much better job of making, making it so that he doesn't have to be heroic yeah. in order to do that, to do that job. Now, where the abs are still little iffy is in high danger chances in all such in every situation imaginable. Yeah. High danger chances continue to be a problem for them. And when you do have a conference, when you are missing Bowen Byram, you are missing Josh Manson. You're missing two guys who are comfortable with the more physical game. will battle in front of the net a little tougher. will will make life a little miserable on, on guys that want to stand in that area. Cause right now it's like, Eric Johnson is like the one guy on this defense that will really kind of be like, please leave, please leave. And Andreas England will like his physicality shows up more in board work and along the wall. And in like the neutrals like rubbing a guy out along the wall and, 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 you know, an open ice hit in the neutral zone or something. That's where his physicality really shines. He's not really an overly physical guy in front of his own net. And, I think that continues to be an area where you can ask for a lot more improvement from all of them. Every single one of them needs to be better in that area. But the PK has done a good job of limiting 
So the scoring chances. Just to back this up with some statistics, the Avs' two heaviest penalty killers in this time, Taves and Johnson, are averaging about two shot attempts against per penalty kill. Uh, You have some forwards in that range as well. JT Comfer a bit higher than that. Logan O'Connor right in that range. Andrew Cogliano now out, but was averaging one shot against in his for a full two-minute PK for him. Uh, Great. Genuinely very, very low event hockey for the abs on the penalty kill. But then you look over, and (laughs) for those guys that are averaging two attempts against, one of them is almost always a high-danger chance. It's a problem. Yeah. So it's been very good, but there is a caveat there. But room for improvement. It's an area It's an area that was disastrous at the start of the season, so some of these numbers are always going to be pulled down by, like, it was like five solid weeks of, like, oh, my God. Look, all right, for the record, these statistically are from the last seven games. Just Nathan McKinnon out. But um, that is an area of the team that has gotten better. Yep. And – that's important because special teams are more important than ever without Nathan McKinnon, because I don't understand the argument that was taking place in chat earlier um, where we were, you know, Brad was talking about shooting percentage and the rebuttal was that the abs are top 10 in scoring. The abs are 25th in the NHL right now in goals. They're not scoring. They are dead last in the NHL in five V five scoring. They're worse than Chicago. Dismal shooting percentage. Yeah, it's last. It's dead. Their shooting percentage is dead last. That overarching observation, too, goes back to the Kale McCarr conversation, wherein, though I do have concerns about his usage being a little high, I also have no issue with his performance, and it is because his lack of finish is a team-wide problem right now that they are actively working to address, too. You see the different types of drills they're incorporating in practice now, are utilizing tools to place traffic in front of the net just to practice getting shots through. And that, to me, is not a reflection of Kel McCarr playing badly. It's just a team-wide issue that they're working through right now. Yeah. That's why they have to win games one nothing instead of 4-5 to five to 2 or 3 or whatever. Um, and, well, and, and the big difference you're talking, obviously, no Nathan McKinnon hurts you on several levels offensively. Yeah. Uh, sure. No Gabe Landeskog hurts you in terms of some of the easy net front goals, rebounds, tips. Just things look like at that. last night and all those rebounds they didn't finish. Well, and and you're talking like most of Miko Rantanen's goals are him just being better than the goaltender. Yep. He picks a spot and he scores a goal. You know, there have been his hat trick game. Uh, he had a couple where he just went, he just went to the net and was a loose man. Yep. Yeah, and just and put put a loose puck into the net. That's great. But outside of Miko Rantanen, they're not getting any of that stuff. Yep. You know, JT Comfer misses an empty net in overtime last night. Valnichushkin misses an empty net two games ago. Like they've had some opportunities here and they're they're just not finishing them. And those are two guys that are in terms of goal scoring are probably a little more secondary in terms of expectations. Uh, for them to for them to score for sure. yeah. in in a healthy lineup, they would be, you know, your like four, five, six, seventh guys somewhere yeah. in that range. 
Yeah. Uh, and you don't have the 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 shooting ability of Nazem Kadri, who has been a 25 goal guy his entire career. You don't have the raw shooting ability of Andre Burakovsky, who every once in a while. I mean, look at how offense has changed for Seattle this year because Andre Burakovsky is there and can just beat a goalie every once in a while. If you have a guy that can just snipe one past a goaltender 25 times in a season, that's 25 goals that you're not breaking your back to score, that you're not killing yourself to try and score, where you have to you have to cycle it and you have to do all this work. Guy that just skates down and is like, well, I'm fabulous, and smokes one past the netminder, the Avs don't have a lot of that. You know, uh, Evan, Evan mentioned it in the grades piece that he wrote last night. Uh, Arturi Lekkanen has like seven scoring chances, all within five feet of the net. Doesn't score any of them. That is not, and Arturi Lekkanen's like on pace for by far a career year. But in terms of like finishing, in terms of beating a goaltender, most of his most of his goals are rebounds and tips and garbage goals and put back, you know, stuff like that. They come within a few feet of the net. It's not a lot of, he just shoot, he just shot it and beat a goalie. He, he even admitted that, that that shorthanded goal that he scored against Philly in Denver. He said, I only have one move and it's going five hole. <laughs> he was like, I don't have anything else in the bag. That's it. That's all I do. It's, I just skate down and I try and shoot five hole. Like he's just not, he's just not like a, natural goal scorer like that you know he's and 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 Nachushkin's not that way comfort Sometimes has always been is. yeah comfort like a lot of comfort's goals are him actually just doing that he just he's not so good at it he's like that tweener right like yeah he's gonna give you 16 to 20 goals in a year somewhere in there when he's hot he's that guy when he's cold he's not <laughs> and and like last night is you know when he misses an empty and and that's like a that's a bang bang like fast tough play to make puck was rolling on him yada yada yada. and it's an empty but it's an empty net man you're in the nhl like you expect a guy to make that play more often than not but like that's kind of what's plagued the abs at this but at 5v5 and at even strength is their their goal scoring and and like what does new hook become where does he fit into that and that's where that's where both new hook and rodriguez have been hugely important to colorado this year is that they can just beat a goalie they won't do it every night it's not you know it's not a a super consistent thing but they are guys that can give you those goals down the lineup both of them hovering right around 20 goal pace right now yeah and that's you know that and uh, you know, Nachushkin and Lekkonen, you expect to be 20 goal guys. Miko Rantanen's uh, had a 20 goal season for like a week and a half now, uh, which dude, a 20 goals. Remember when 20 goals was like a thing to celebrate as an Avalanche fan? And this dude just did it by Christmas and none of us blinked. Like, <laughs> just funny how things change, right? Like, you, I didn't even think about it till later where I was like, remember when Chris Stewart had 27 goals in a season and we were like, Oh my God, Chris Stewart's amazing, and like different scoring environment in the NHL, obviously, but just uh, just crazy how things can change over time. Because Migo Rantanen might have twenty seven goals by New Year's, and we're all just gonna be like, yeah, "All right, that sounds about right." Yeah, okay. <laughs> the title uh, is, you know, what are some positives of, or not? That's not the right way to word it. But in the absence of Nathan McKinnon, what are some positives? The answer is Miko Rantanen. That's the obvious answer. Yeah. 
But the quiet answer is also Alex Newhook because I'm excited for your video coming up, Rudo, on Newhook and just sort of how he has adapted to the situations he's been placed in because that is a part of the conversation with Newhook too. Not having, like, just as Newhook is starting to come into his home, Evan Rodriguez gets hurt. And those are two that have started to build chemistry. It's disrupted. And it just hasn't been consistent in terms of line mates for Newhook to really build a little bit of confidence there. And I think now that Evan Rodriguez is healthy and back, it's really an exciting time to start the clock back on evaluating what Newhook could be. And I think he is a quiet answer to the title of this pod as well. 44 point pace since he's since game nine of the season when he scored what we thought might be a meaningless goal for his first goal of the year in that Islanders game. I mean, we talked about it on the pod. If this is a launch point, then this is a super meaningful moment in the season. And it has been. He is he has 12 points and lost 22 games. He didn't score last night, but he had four shots on goal. Which a quick glance, I believe that was a season high. No, it was five earlier. Yeah. Yeah, against Vancouver. So second highest total of the year. He had four shots on goal last night. So that confidence is on the rise. The production is on the rise. New hook is really important to their success. Certainly while the big guns, you know, while while Landy and Mac remain out, but even when they come back. He needs to continue to he needs to continue to find offense in his opportunities. Yep. Hard to agree. Uh, we are brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. You can get it down at the bar, of course, or at your local liquor store. Use the Breck Beer Locator online to find it near you. Still time to get in on the nice list. Make sure you check it twice. Uh, they're getting in there with uh, some giveaways for Christmas. I have no idea what these two are giggling about, but it's fine. Uh, get yourself some Breck Brew. Nothing. Also, go over to Game Time. You can click the link down in the description of this video. When you click through that, it takes you to get tickets to any sporting event you want. But here in Colorado, obviously, the abs are the hot ticket right now. And you can get prices up to 60% off through Game Time. Join 15 million people that have signed up with Game Time to get tickets for just a better deal all the way around. Uh, go check them out. The link in the description helps us out a little bit too. It lets them know we sent you over there. So they've got all sorts of cool stuff that'll show you your seats and what the, what the view is like. So jump on it. Uh, anyway, third period of the DNVR avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I gotta ask it. Are the abs a better overtime team without Nathan McKinnon, at least at three on three? No, certainly not, but I've always I've I have like not always, but I have long maintained that they cannot play with Rantanen and McKinnon together in three on three. They both take chances, they both do silly dumb shit sometimes. You you break them up, you put Nachushkin with one and Lekanin with the other, you give the two kids an adult to keep them in line, and they will. And then we have seen once they've done that, they've been a lot more successful. Doesn't necessarily mean they, they've won all their games, but they've been a lot more com- consistently competitive in overtimes when they break those two cats up. And you saw it again last night. Miko, Miko, Nuke, and Makar together. And I don't... I, Makar, Gerard, Taves... The, the, Avs, the Avs are positioned well to be problems in overtime if they want. But I do think that you have to be honest about some strengths and weaknesses of your players here and split those guys up. 
because at three on three, Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon have lost a lot of games together, have been on the ice for a lot of games together that they have not won in the three on three format. So I think it's a great point about that combination. And I also think that the Avs are beginning to execute three on three the way Bednar has always wanted them to. And it hasn't always been this way in the past. And this came up again today, but we've asked Bednar about how the pace of overtime just looks a little bit different from what we've seen in the past. And it is a lot more cautious. They're seeking out the perfect play. They're not afraid to exit and reset. Something that McKinnon does help a lot too when he is there. And this cautious play in search of the perfect play, I think, slows down the pace. It could feel a bit stagnant at times, but I also think it has benefited them and why they've seen success. Even if the clock just runs out, at least it was cautiously played. Yeah, I. It, it's very clear there has been a significant shift in the Avs mentality, certainly from the players. Maybe Bednar has always viewed it this way. Uh, of going into overtime and the willingness to not take every opportunity that they see for sure. Oh, I've got a guy on me and his stick is right there in the shooting lane and I'm 13 feet away and I'm going to fire this thing high and wide and watch a two on one go the other way. Wow. What happened? What can I do differently? <laughs> yeah. You notice nothing. You notice none of that shit happened last night. Yep. Yeah. Don't be a hero. Don't God, the perfect, that's all Jared Bednar should say. He should take <laughs> it on, put it on the whiteboard. Don't be a hero. There's your play in overtime, boys. Uh, the last thing I did want to we talk need, about. We need a quote graphic. <laughs> Megan Angley saying, don't be a Ooh. hero. And then Jared Bednar quoting Megan Angley. <laughs> don't be a hero, Megan Angley. Jared Bednar, probably. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, the last thing I did want to touch on was the Avs possession metrics at five on five. They have been very, very good over these games without Nathan McKinnon. Only a few players even below 50% Corsi four of the guys that you know were regularly in the lineup. Uh, that being the Hunts and Logan O'Connor, Andreas Anglin just below. But on the flip side... A bunch of dudes in the high 50% courses. Ben Myers, Devon Taves, Miko Rantanen, the guys you would uh, expect alongside Ben Myers, kind of the weird one. John Luke Foodie had great possession numbers as well. You've seen the Avs get back to that high possession play that many people expected out of them after last year, even without some of their star players. Can I talk about Ben Myers? I'll go off, dog. I just, so... Uh, I listened to the game on the radio last night. Um, we were driving through Nebraska and Northeast Colorado. Uh, and so I, I didn't have any thought on Ben Myers. And then when I got home, I watched it. I rewatched the game, which tough to do knowing that there will be zero goals scored. But <laughs> if you talk about process all the time, you can't get mad about a zero, zero hockey game. Um, this Ben Myers over the last like week. I love this Ben Myers. Can we like wrap up in some aluminum foil and like, like some put him in the fridge for later in the year, like some leftovers. Like I want this Ben Myers in the postseason kind of thing, because this Ben Myers is going to make a difference. 
this Ben Meyer, it's he's smart. He's using his speed better than he ever has. He's involved in everything. He's going hard to the net. He's playing with a, a confidence within himself that is so far ahead of what he had at the start of this year where he looked like he had no idea how to play hockey anymore. Like he just didn't look very good. And this Ben Myers has been, I love this Ben Myers. This Ben Myers is exactly the guy that I think the apps thought that they were getting uh, this, this kind of like speed demon who's causing problems in a lot of different areas and has been responsible defensively. Uh, Cause I think that's where it starts is when he, when he can make a good defensive play, when he can make a good outlet, when he can make a good read and be an outlet uh, for uh, a stretch pass with his speed, he transitions into a dangerous offensive player really quickly. And he reads the ice really well. You see him making kind of, kind of like a basketball basketball style cuts through defenses where he sees open ice and he, he understands I'm going to that spot. And he, because of his speed and because of his, his acceleration, he can beat most guys to the spot he's headed to. I, I've been really impressed with Ben Myers over the last week. I've just been sitting up in Winnipeg, freezing my ass off, being like, Ben Myers is the only thing keeping me warm right now. Like, my my love of watching this version of Ben Myers, it's so impressive. So I I really want this guy to stick around, personally. The impression I get is all of this was laid out so intentionally. The impression I get is one that Galchenyuk probably played in those NHL games, those four that he did too soon, sooner than the organization would have liked. They would have liked for him to stay in the AHL more. And similarly, Ben Myers staying in the AHL for as long as he did gets interrupted by the injury he experiences right at the beginning of being reassigned to the AHL, but he does come back, gets healthy, gets in some games and really does a lot of work. And I didn't mean to make this the Greg Cronin show again, but he gets to work on the details of his games so closely in Loveland. And that's exactly what they needed of Myers. Like he was instructed not to worry so much about the offense. And so I want to give Myers credit because I criticized the lack of offense in Loveland, but it was because it was somewhat of an instruction to work on the defensive side of the game. So specifically to not worry about that. And so now seeing him up with the Avs first couple of games, not going to lie. I didn't love them for him. There were some mistakes being made defensively that concerned me a bit, but these last two games specifically, he has looked so good on that side of the puck, very strong. And I'm seeing him also seeking out net front chances to clean up rebounds. And he's just opportunistic, even getting his stick out to force turnovers. And maybe he doesn't quite settle it yet because he's still learning that it's hard to be NHL goaltenders and it's not college hockey anymore. But it's coming, and it's coming a lot quicker than I even expected for him. And I think the organization, this is exactly what they would have hoped from him. And I think that there are no handouts. Like, he still has a lot to do to earn a spot. But I do think that he is making a strong case for himself right now. I would, uh, building off of the focusing on the defense, it has to start there for Ben Myers because – in a fully in a world where the avalanche lineup is healthy he's somewhere in that wealth guy yeah he's somewhere in that bottom six group now dennis Morgan will be in that mix as well that's another guy that myers will now have to outplay 
to to earn a job um to to stick in in the NHL and if his defensive game is sound if if he's keeping it 100 in his own end he will make a very tempting option even if he's not producing very much even if it's a point every two weeks as long as he continues to take care of his own end he will give that coaching staff all the more trust in the world that when they if they put him out there in a situation the upside may not be there in terms of uh helping them on offense but helping them defensively which is where the forward core helping the defense has been the biggest change for me uh on this homestand post boston um really like in the month of december i would say post boston has been that the forwards came back and the team defense is so much better. And Ben Myers, Ben Myers being able to help that side of the ice, I think is the number one key for him earning ice and looks and all that. He's got to continue to be dangerous on offense and be part of scoring chances. We all know finishing is going to help. It's really hard to get rid of a guy that scores goals for you. But defensively, it's got to start there because that's what's going to get him. That's what's going to turn eight minutes of ice time into 12 minutes of ice time into 15 minutes of ice time. And I think that's that's still the biggest hurdle because I did ask Jared Bednar about Ben Myers because it shows a lot of trust to use him as a center instead of a wing. I know they are hungry to fill a center position. They've been looking for options in the middle. I think that's honestly why Dennis Malgan... It's like they'll probably play him on wing, but the fact that they could use him at center if needed is a flexibility that they are excited about. But for that reason, the offense, like you mentioned, AJ, it's still a part of the conversation. Basically, what Bednar said himself, like he's been happy with that play on that side of the puck with Myers, but he needs to put up some points. And I don't think he's looking for anything crazy, but I just think he needs to get on the score sheet in some way. Um, and he's he's getting good looks. I, I think it's yeah. just... A- team-wide problem right now that I'm not. Bye, Rudo. Rudo, Rudo hates Ben Myers, confirmed. That was it, though. Uh, they Basically, Avs are really hurting for a centerman. I know they want one. And Ben they Myers has a mountain to climb. He does need to find the offense, too, but he's really improved that part of his game defensively. All right, we got a couple super chats to get to here, and then we can wrap this conversation up. Before, before we get to him, can I just say JT Confer Appreciation Day? Uh, I love sure. Uh, I'm counting the Philadelphia game because McKinnon left it so early. Uh, I'm true. counting that as one that he, uh, as part of the eight, I'm saying it's eight games basically. Yeah, sure, sure. Left. In that time, JT Confer, four points in eight games, playing 23-57, taking basically every face off that the team can possibly run him out there for. Um, it's not overwhelming. Uh, but he has 23 shots on goal in eight games. And if you go and look at JT Confer's normal in his career, he goes long stretches without shooting pucks. And for him to be in the range of averaging about four shots per game, three shots per game, somewhere in there, um, a guy that has really stepped into this, into this opportunity better than we've ever seen him in the past, uh, you know, Contract years are a hell of a drug, but you got to give JT Confer credit for uh, stepping into the moment 
and and helping them survive. On that note, we have $2 from Vaguely Sober saying happy holidays, everyone. Heart DNVR. Much love. And then an amazing $50 from Sean, which is ridiculous, who just wanted to say thank you guys for the years of content. Y'all inspired me to finally learn how to play ice hockey. My first beer league season got my first goal, getting to the dirty areas. Happy holidays. Hope to meet you all one day. Go to the net, Sean. Go to the net. Did you keep the puck, Sean? Yeah, we need we need the picture of you holding yeah. the puck with yeah, the cheesy smile. Sure. Says Sean's first goal. Where is it? You gotta you gotta tweet that at at one of us or at DNVR Avalanche, so we can sure. share with the world. Absolutely, we'll share that uh, for you and for anyone. If you're in town, hit us up in the DMs. We I'm always down to go grab a beer at the bar with people if they're around. So let us know. If you're coming into town or whatever, and I will do my best to send you to the bar when it's open and not closed. I'm a lot more shy, but I'll say hi if I know you're there. <laughs> I there you go. I'm really shy. I'm sorry to everyone. <laughs> I thought I was shy, and then Megan showed up and was like, "I will outshy you." And I was, Dude, like, I no. was shy, and then I got this job, and you were like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm I'm the shy one. You got to do yep. all this stuff." And I was like, "All right, fine." Yep. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun when shy people bully other shy people into less shyness. You're right. It works actually too. It, it's the ultimate guilt trip because you're like, God, I know this person feels exactly the same way I do, and look at them go. That should be a quote graphic. <laughs> Bullying works. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, so don't, kidding. don't Megan. Megan is don't be a hero, and mine is bullying works. <laughs> you're you're just steadily describing the perfect game for Miko Randon, to be honest. I I am I'm, I'm actually uh I am working on a compilation of Miko moments from the last two weeks where um there's some bullying getting done. <laughs> he's he started to embrace not being a moose as a nickname, but being a moose as a lifestyle. Being a moose is a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> there have been a lot of, you know, how he's decided that he can win faceoffs is that the guy goes for the puck and he pushes him over, <laughs> and then he tries to use his pterodactyl-like range uh, with his arms to go the get the puck. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> but yes, uh, as Chat says, uh, for HR purposes, bullying does not work. Yeah, I want to try that. Clear. It's so clear, like. Bullying in the sense that it's your physical ability to knock people over within a hockey game works. <laughs> within within the confines of sport, it's when you're yeah. much larger than other people, <laughs> you can take their lunch money. It's okay. Off the ice, don't do it. Yeah, uh, please don't do that. Anyway, we're going to get out of here for the day. We appreciate all y'all hanging out with us. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, with pregame, watch-along, and post-game, so be sure to tune in for that. And, uh, yeah, you know, we got you covered all week, all five shows every weekday, leading all the way up to Christmas, and then, of course, everyone will be off that weekend. But we uh, hope y'all enjoyed, and we will talk to you on the next one. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I wasn't ready. Panic. Are we self-ending it, maybe? No, because he's we- back there, but I'll end it. It's fine. Hawk. What a super great shot pod. I don't even know. There it is. All right, Hawk. bye.